Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today is our April book club episode for Before We Are Innocent by Ella Berman. A second time Bad on Paper book club author. Oh, I didn't realize that you did her first book before on Bad on Paper. We did, yeah. I guess it must have been, I guess it must have been August of 2020, I believe. I wish I would have known. I would have listened to it before this because I, ha- I haven't read it, but I would be really interested to after reading this one. Yeah, I think you'd like it. We can talk about it a little bit more in the episode. But before we get into this book, tell me your high. Uh, my high is that I was kind of forced this past weekend to like have a true do nothing weekend. Like, oh, that's kind of sit on the couch, watch whatever I wanted. At one point, I was just like scrolling through movies on HBO. I cannot tell you the last time I did that on a Saturday afternoon. And I was kind of forced to because of my injury. But it was actually, I think, kind of good for me just to not be moving and doing stuff constantly and just be sitting there. And, you know, that's kind of a a privilege in itself just to chill. So it was nice. The circumstances, the butt burn is not great, but (laughs) that sounds very nice to have a, a completely planless weekend. Yeah, it was good. I watched a lot of episodes of Hoarders. Oh, yeah. It was pretty much the same as hoarders always is the plot line doesn't change much there but uh it it was it was fun great what is your high i have two highs that are both related to my first book the christmas orphans club so just some like exciting things have been happening so the first thing is i got my past pages which is the step after copy editing and it's the first time that your book is formatted like a book. So it's set in book pages and designed with like the fonts and the chapter headings, how it will look. And it has my name at the top of every other page, like the left-hand pages. It has my name at the top and it feels so official. That is so exciting. I was going to ask you if there's one like detail about it that made you like particularly emotional, but my name. it seems like it was the name. <laughs> it was my name. And it was also really the first time that I've read this book with any kind of distance or perspective, having last looked at it probably in, I don't know when I finished my copy edits, like late February maybe. So I had enough distance and I was like, oh yeah, no, this is good. It was, it, it was interesting to not be as in the weeds as I have on previous reads. And it was also really nice rereading it with, um, we're in the blurb process right now, which I've heard from most authors say that they hate this process. This is, you know, the on the cover of a book where it has the little quotes of like, amazing, scintillating, <laughs> a novel for our time, you know, those types of quotes on the cover. So you have to ask authors if they'll read your book and give you a quote. They use them for the cover and for uh, press pitching and for like the sales package. And I, I, I knew all of this, but I guess I hadn't really thought of it. That They really throw you in the deep end where it's like, hey, you know who's going to read your book first? Your literary idols. That's like the scariest thing I can imagine. Literally it's, the scariest. I mean, you have nothing to be scared about because it's great and you're great, but I, like that is so vulnerable to me. It's so it's vulnerable. Scary. But I've gotten three blurbs so far and I've cried at every single one so far. I it feels like I'm wearing my heart outside of my body is the only way I can describe people reading this book. That's so wonderful and like just so validating and nice. And scary. All and of scary. it. Scary. All yes. of it. But yeah, those two things have been my high. It feels like it's getting real. We're 
we're five months out. I know. Do you have like your book launch party outfit picked out? This is where my mind goes. I don't know why this is my mind. Will you match the cover? Oh, I don't know. I did find these weird tinsel jackets on Pinterest, but I can't find where they actually are sold. I think it might be from a past season. Or do you know? I can. I I know because like the ones that Taylor Swift wears on the Eras tour. Kind of like a shorter version though. Oh. And like there were ones that were kind of I felt Christmassy looking. Do you know where it's from? I've seen a similar one on Nasty Gal. I'm going to the Eras tour concert now, so I'm like, you are. I am. I where <laughs> in Denver? <laughs> oh, in July. That's not what I expected, but okay. Yeah. Uh, my friend had extra tickets and I was like, Jake, we're going to Denver to see Taylor Swift. And he just said, okay. And I was like, great. We're planning your outfit. Are there any extra, extra tickets? <laughs> I think those are the only two, but I'll let you know if, okay. if others pop up. Keep I'm, me posted. Uh, I'm excited. But anyway, I, I have been getting a lot of very festive outfit, like uh, targeted ads. Oh, will so you forward them to me? If, I will. If you see anything that feels appropriate. I will. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Um, what's what, your low? My low is still dealing with this burn, which I feel like I can't shut up about, but it's really weirdly affected me like mentally, but um and physically. Anyway, I had two trips. I mean, the the photos look graphic. Like it it looks like you are not overplaying this and yeah. <laughs> woe is me this. Like it looks like a situation. Thank you. It, it was a situation. It has been a situation, but definitely getting better. However, I just I had two trips planned in the next two weeks, one to see family and then one which was like a trip. Oh, I was going to say overseas, like it's the 1950s or something. <laughs> a trip Were you going in your- a steamer boat? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was to Europe with a brand, which I was excited about. But um, I just I'm still dealing with the injury and I, mentally and emotionally, I think I just need to like chill for a bit and continue to heal. So had to cancel those, but I feel like it was the best choice for me. And, um, so, you know, not a total low. I'm, I'm glad I'm taking care of myself. You know, that's always a win. I'm glad you are too. Oh, thank you. What's your low? Oh my God. My low is so annoying. My refrigerator is broken. Oh, is it still? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So on Saturday night I came home and I'd been out, I'd been drinking And I came home and I poured myself a glass of water. And I remember being like, this water's not that cold. And I just put ice in it and went to bed and didn't really think about it. And the next morning I woke up and I I keep like a carafe of iced coffee in my fridge. And I was like, this also isn't that cold. (laughs) And I was like, I think there's something wrong. And it was hot, right? It was hot. So the refrigerator is not fully broken. It's just not the right temperature. So on the coldest setting, my refrigerator is about 50 degrees versus the refrigerator is supposed to be 40 degrees. Right. It has one job. Right. So it's colder than room temperature. It's just not a food safe temperature. Yeah. So um, my super had to come over to verify that I wasn't lying, that it was broken and to he just looked at it like it, he didn't do anything. He didn't attempt to fix it. So now they're ordering. A I feel like he would just walk in and be like, seems right. Like, I guess you're yeah. telling the truth. It's slightly less cold than usual. Yeah. And then they're ordering me a new one, but they're ordering it today. So I don't know what's going to come. So I'm I'm going on. This is day four of my refrigerator being broken. And it is so annoying. 
I am trying to imagine the process of getting a refrigerator up to your apartment. Oh, I have no idea how that's going to happen. Obviously, you won't be Very doing strong it. people. They're going to be using that like weird shoulder caddy thing that Jake yep. and I used to get the laundry upstairs. Oh, wow. Well, I hope it happens soon because that I is so, so frustrating. Too. What I if hope you've been eating? Just every single meal, I have to eat something from outside, but also I can't really keep leftovers. Although, please don't yell at me, listeners. I have made up some rules in my head about food safety <laughs> that I'm living by that are probably not FDA approved. Oh, but tell if I, us. If I get something for lunch and I put it in the 50 degree refrigerator, like I can still have it again for dinner. I think that's more than fair. Yeah. Like I won't keep anything overnight, but you know, within a few hours, I'm like, "Eh, it's good enough. I don't want to have to go out again. So it's so annoying. And it's everything down to coffee because I can't keep milk in my fridge. Oh gosh. Anyway, I'm very much hopeful that next week's high is my new fridge. Fingers crossed for you. I I hope so as well. Shall we get into this book? Yes. You did a lovely plot summary here. Oh, thanks. I just finished it two days ago. So, well, it was just a lot. And I I thought it was really elegant how you summed it all up. Should I read it in a British accent? If you can do one, by all means. No, I won't. I won't put everyone through that. (laughs) But when you said elegant, I was like, oh, okay. Evangeline, Bess, and Joni are about to have the best summer of their lives. The year is 2008, and they're all 18, about to head off on their separate ways to adulthood, thrilled to spend their last months together at Evangeline's family villa in Greece. Things go sour pretty quickly, though, as the three navigate the complicated dynamics of a three-person friend group and grow bored at the house, which is more remote and rundown than expected. When the trip abruptly ends in Evangeline's death and Bess and Joni are accused of her murder, the effects follow Bess and Joni into adulthood, though in different ways. In a corresponding timeline, it's 10 years later, and Joni and Bess find themselves together once again, navigating a murder amidst media and secrets. Bum, bum, bum. Well, I'm very excited because I picked this one. We've been doing it alternating that one of us picks every other month because we're both pretty busy right now. I think it's worked really well, but I picked this one. So I want to know what your high-level thoughts on the book are. How did I do? I really liked this book. This is a solid four-star read for me. Which oh, is, good. I feel like ahead. I kind of picked it because I thought that it was kind of the perfect Venn diagram of something that we would both like. Yes. Yeah. It really surprised me. I loved that it had so many tie-ins to things and themes that interest me, which, so thank you for thinking of that. But I really liked it. I thought the writing was good. The characters were generally very unlikable, <laughs> but also complex, which I appreciated. Yeah, I, I really liked it. And obviously you did because you chose it, right? Yeah, I did. I, you know, I don't love a standard issue thriller, but I thought that this one had some really poignant themes, especially around female friendship and how we grow out of or grow with the friends we have when we're young. And then I thought also there was something really interesting about the media's treatment of women and especially young women in in the past timeline in 2008. So I thought that this just had so much more complexity and it really did it for me. Yeah, it, it was very layered. Like there was a lot to think about in every single chapter, which I loved. Now, would you describe this as a thriller? How would you how would you describe it genre wise? You know, it felt very thriller ish to me, like not 
your maybe like standard sort of whodunit or whatever, but it, it had those same elements of suspense. It had twists. It had unreliable narrators in some ways. That's kind of my favorite type of thriller, though, is a book that is speaking to larger issues and themes in society, but is also suspenseful. Mm-hmm. I saw it defined as like, maybe it was like suspenseful drama or, or something, <laughs> something. But I mean, I don't know. What would you describe this as if not a thriller? Well, I really don't love the term, but I could see it fitting into women's fiction because it has women's fiction, I feel like usually has book club themes. And I feel like there's a lot to talk about here thematically. So I could see it fitting in there as well. And it also has such a great pop culture tie in with kind of how popular true crime is now that I I could kind of see it being classed as that, but I'm not sure. It didn't feel thrillery to me because to me, and this might be wrong, a thriller usually has some element of being scary. And at no point was I actually scared. And at no point did I actually think that in the past timeline, Bess or Joni killed Ev. Like I thought there might've been foul play or an accident, but at no point was I like, did, did I think that there was any malice? Oh, that's interesting. I didn't find it scary either, but I found it deeply unsettling in a lot of Mm. different ways and kind of uncomfortable to read at certain parts, honestly. And that to me is more like what I consider a thriller should be. But I also see your point. Totally. Um, Like it it felt like they got mixed up in in a bad situation more than they did something bad, specifically in the past timeline. Right. Yes. Which is scary to me. (laughs) Yeah. But scary in a different way than a thriller. Yeah. It was actually the dynamics of the friendship with the three of them that I think was the most unsettling to me in a lot of different ways. Oh, but tell me more about that. Well, if I could name one problem I had with the book, it is that I felt like the intensity of the friendship in all the ways they sort of envied each other or were competitive with one another was very clear and completely understandable as someone who has once been a teenage girl. But the other side of it, like the the love for each other, the bonding was kind of lost a little bit in that. You know, like I didn't see what mm. I maybe it was just that by the time I got into the book, I had kind of forgotten like the beginning, <laughs> but I just didn't. It feels like it wasn't established, like why they were so close, mm-hmm. what they really loved about each other, even though it was touched on here and there. But the ways they all hurt each other, it just made me so uncomfortable. <laughs> mm. um, but I felt like it was realistic. Like How what's an you... example of, of one of the things that made you uncomfortable? The way they would like gang up and like leave a, the third one out mm. or, and the three of them would kind of shift. So one person was always left out, which is something I also want to talk about later in this episode about three person friendships. Cause I think that always happens, but also just the general like cruelty towards each other and the way that they talk to each other sometimes was maybe it like reminded me of being a teenager for some reason and like feeling that way and that's why it made me so uncomfortable but yeah I don't know how did you feel about their friendship I thought that the teen girlhoodness was so intricately and accurately portrayed it was masterful like I yeah I could see and I felt like their motivations were also so well described in terms of Bess wanting to show off and and try to be braver and cooler than she might have felt and and Ev kind of being the 
the innocent babyish one and Joni wanting to like push boundaries. Like I just, I thought it was so well done. I, I guess I didn't notice what you were saying about their friendship, not having the positive elements. And it didn't bother me because I think sometimes in high school, especially you become friends because of circumstances, because of either your lunch period or, you know, what you're into or not into. And so I could see how it would happen that you just keep hanging out with these people. Mm -hmm. I, I totally see what you're saying, but it didn't bother me. It's interesting. I feel like you really were into like the aspect of the three-handed friendship of like the three people friendship. What I found really interesting about the friendship angle was the juxtaposition of the present timeline and the past timeline. How do you understand the people that your friends have become? Like what do they retain of themselves from when they are teenagers? And like how do you still be friends with this person that you've known since you were like 16 and in their case with like a big gap in between. I thought that was so interesting when when Joni and Bess came into each other's lives and still kind of knew each other's squishy parts and kind of knew each other's bruises and wounds and could see the past version of themselves there with some perspective, but like there were still blind spots. I don't know. That's what I thought was really interesting about the friendship more so than like the friendship in the past timeline, which just felt like peak teen girlness. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. I didn't think about it as much. You're right. But I also appreciated it and I thought it was really interesting. Shall we take a quick ad break? Yes. So most of you have probably heard us singing the praises of pros and their truly custom made-to-order hair care for a while now at this point. But honestly speaking, switching to a custom routine from pros has been one of the best things I've done for my hair. And the process was so much easier than all the other things I used to spend money on to take care of my hair, like going to a salon or spending hours just blindly wandering the hair care aisle deciding what to buy. Plus, the results just keep getting better. I've been using Pros for three years now, and my hair has never looked better. And it's not natural. It is the pros. I've said it before, but I don't think of myself as someone with quote unquote good hair. My hair is really fine. It gets greasy after a day. And so I told Pros that I wanted to have thicker and healthier hair and go longer between washes. And seriously, I have never tried another product that has made a bigger difference in my hair. And unlike other products where your hair seems to get used to the products after a little while and they stop working as well, I have not had that happen. And what's cool about pros is that they know there's more to your hair than just your individual hair type. Pros has given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz, which is exactly how I got started with the products. I loved how the quiz took into account things like how often I style my hair, what kind of damage my hair has and even where I live. Pros also makes it easy to log back in and use its review and refine tools so you're making sure your hair care evolves with you and your life. The best part about Pros, though, in my opinion, is that if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've had after you try it, they will take the products back, no questions asked. Custom made-to-order hair care from Pros has your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash B-O-P. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash B-O-P for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. Now, you said that you felt like these characters were all really unlikable. I actually 
think I might disagree. I, on the surface, see how they are all unlikable, but I think I really came to like understand and empathize with Bess throughout the book. Did you not? I guess it's kind of both, right? It's like the characteristics that I could identify with and all three of them in different ways are not necessarily things that I <laughs> like about myself mm-hmm. now or, or mm-hmm. as a teenager. And so that's maybe why I went to okay. unlikable, but maybe that wasn't the best word. Maybe it, it's something like, no, I they, think they are on the surface, yeah. like their behaviors. And I think the way they act is really unlikable, but I think because of how well-constructed these characters were, especially in Bess's case as the point of view character, I feel like I really understood why she was the way that she was. And I really empathized with it, knowing what she'd gone through by the end of the book. Yeah. I guess I did empathize with her. I don't know. I was more like neutral. It it was more just like an interesting character study Mm. to me rather than like I felt bad or I felt like it ended the right way or she ended up in the right place or there's some like moral justice to it. But it wasn't that I hated them. Like I I enjoyed reading all of them. Mm hmm. Um, okay. So the first thing I was thinking about as I was reading about this is Amanda Knox, which I don't know if you made that connection when reading or if you're familiar with that situation. I didn't, I'm not super familiar with that, that case or that situation. Are you familiar because you were following at the time or did you like watch a movie or listen to a podcast about it after the fact? So I, I remember seeing it at the time. Her roommate was murdered in Italy when she was studying abroad, when she Mm -hmm. was, maybe in 18, 19, 20, something like that. This was 2007. And then she was arrested and then convicted two years later. Oh, that's really funny because I would have been studying abroad the same time in 2007. Oh, really? You must have heard about it then. I wasn't in Italy. It was was everywhere. I don't know. I might have just been so secluded from U.S. media that I might have missed it because I was in Spain. And at the time, it was kind of a weird cultural black hole. Like I remember coming back from studying abroad and I I hadn't heard the song Umbrella by Rihanna, which was everywhere. Like oh my the gosh. only music that existed there was like five years out of date. Like it was like the Backstreet Boys were still really big there. Oh, really? That's interesting. It's possible. So the reason I was thinking about it was more top of mind, I guess, was that there was a really great documentary that came out in 2016 on Netflix about her case, which I actually watched last night because I was like, I got to spot off all the parallels again. Oh. And the similarities are so clear that I just thought it was genius that she, I mean, the author must have pulled from that. I think it's almost completely unbelievable that she didn't. Well, I listened to an interview with the author on the Shit No One Tells You About Writing podcast, and I, I, I don't know about her familiarity with the Amanda Knox case as she was writing the book, but she said that the seed kernel behind this book was that during the pandemic, her mom sent her her teenage diaries. She was reading the diaries and she felt like there was an unhinged quality to them (laughs) where she was like, wow, if anyone read these, like if these were ever publicly released, I would be painted in such a bad light. And (laughs) So, you know, maybe it was that overlaid on the Amanda Knox thing, but I thought that was such interesting inspiration because I would have expected the basis of the idea to be inspiration by like a real life true crime case, but it seemed like it was her own unhingedness in her teenage diaries. Oh, I love that. I I also read an interview with her and she talked about that. It stood out to me that she said there was something like, it seemed like everything she wrote was so vital. Like everything was Mm -hmm. so important and... I could definitely relate (laughs) to that having read some of my own journals. That's really the piece 
I think that stuck with me the most, how their private communications were released and then how they were perceived based on those. I I read the book about a month ago and then I re-listened to it this past week in prep for this episode. And in between, I just could not stop thinking like anytime I was sending something in my group text that was a little off color or anytime I was, you know, saying anything, I was like, wow, it is so true. If my private communications were leaked, I would look terrible. I would have no defense, you know? Like my my friend Kyle calls me homophobic once a week. Like it can be anything from like eating salad for lunch to like not knowing who like a very specific pop culture icon is. The things that you would say to your friends lovingly and vice versa, if they were taken out of context would just sound so so bad. And also yeah. the Facebook messages of it all. I thought that was really interesting. I feel like at least once a month somebody will send around something that somebody posted publicly like on somebody's wall that anyone who is friends with either of them could see that's just straight up unhinged. I can't even think about the things I've like posted on Facebook that are right horrible. Like, I, I feel like memories will resurface it, like the Facebook yes. memories. And it's like, that exists out there in the world? Mine is all like, death cab for cutie lyrics and I'm just like oh my god I literally was like my aunt and like the 10 friends from my high school need to know that this song is pertinent to my life I just but do you remember when you wrote on other people's walls it was like a message board almost it was terrible but actually this whole thing made me think of recently when I turned 30 one of my lifelong best friends from middle school high school college sent me uh, Marco Polo, she sent me a video and it was reading this letter I had written her when we graduated high school. Cause I wrote my three best friends, this long letter, which is like very me, but, <laughs> but she started reading it and I was like, Oh no, like I, I just knew it was going to be cringy. And it made me like cry because the thing that stood out about it to me was the intensity of like mm-hmm. how much I believed in this friendship. I was, you would have thought that I was writing this like before we signed some sort of like a blood oath or something. Like <laughs> it was, it was like, we will be together in this life forever. I will show up for you at any moment in your life, whether we've talked for five minutes or five hours. It was just so intense, so yeah. intense. And a lot of it is still true. And some of it was really cringe, but it just reminded me of this because there is that intensity of teenage friendships. Mm -hmm. That is honestly like something that I think is more intense than like most romantic relationships I've ever had more layered and complex, I think. And I feel like there's so much fighting in teen girl friendships, or at least there was in mine. (laughs) Like you were constantly in fights and the... I don't know if politics is the right word, but the who's on the outs and, you know, what did they do and and why? Like, I feel like that too, like you kind of outgrow. And I feel like this this book portrayed so well, like the the tiny slights. Yes. Like when they were in Tinos, when they were on the Greek island and the two of them were mad at Evangeline because she was trying to cosplay adulthood and to have this like Ina Garten nice time and the two of them just wanted to like drink and talk to boys and like they turned on her and I'm like oh my god this is so real yeah you know there's like a very specific thing about being that age where I feel like at least this was the case for me like I felt very threatened when my friends would be slightly different than me because we Mm. had been the same for so long and when I would 
when they would want to do something that I was still too scared to do or I didn't feel ready for, I would be like, oh, they're leaving me behind or this means I'm not cool or like it's just everything felt so important that we are all the same, even though we never have been, of course. But it felt I don't know. It felt important then. In the present timeline, Joni and Bess reunite after Joni is implicated potentially in the murder of her girlfriend. I would like to know who would you go to present day today if you were suspected of murder? I don't know where I would go. Everything is so far away from me. I I don't know if I'd be able to go anywhere. No, you just jump in the car the night of. You're like, I'm in trouble. Where are you going? Can't stay. The police are going to show up at your house. Oh, I'm on the run? I committed the murder? No, but like it doesn't look good for you. It's Joni's situation. I I guess my parents' house. It's kind of lame. That's kind of lame. But (laughs) where would you go? It's funny. It's kind of tied between three of my college friends. I think my friend Allie would be the best at constructing an alibi and getting you out of a murder, whether or not you committed it. That's However, she has one child, is pregnant with another. They live in a two-bedroom condo. There's not a lot of room there. So like logistically, sleeping-wise, not a good option. I think my friend Elizabeth would be the best distraction if I didn't want to think about it in terms of like cheering me up or having weird things to do or watch or tell me about. So she would be a good distraction. I think ultimately what I would do is I would go to my friend Molly's house in Maine because it's the most remote. I think like housing wise, I think she would also be comforting. She would listen and she would she would empathize. But then I would try to get the other two to come there to both then distract me and scheme my way out of it. Wow. That is a good plan. And actually, I would like to amend mine, which is that someone, I keep forgetting this, but (laughs) my college roommate Haley is in my Marco Polo chat and she lives in Massachusetts, which isn't that far. And she always gives the absolute best advice that is like tailored to my specific anxious personality. And her partner, Caitlin, is an excellent cook. So oh, great. I feel like it would it would work. So I'd go to Haley. <laughs> okay, good answer. I mean, the only downside is that your mom is a lawyer. So I mean, that could have been helpful. My mom is also very anxious. <laughs> so okay. my mom would be like, would she sell you out? Did you commit this murder in your sleep? And there's a chance you forgot it. Like, that's what would happen with Kim. God bless her. <laughs> but I, I, Jake is a lawyer, too. So, you know, unless I murdered Jake, I think he could help. Maybe it's Jake murdering Jake Gyllenhaal and you're somehow implicated. (laughs) Again, this is the story that we are waiting to happen. (laughs) Yeah. Let's take a quick ad break before we talk more about this book. In case you are looking for a new podcast to love, I want to tell you about one of my favorites. It's called A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, and it is hosted by best friends and business partners Claire Mazur and Erica Cerullo. They talk about everything from shopping and cooking to tougher topics like what to expect during menopause and deciding to have or not have children. It's the perfect mix of light and real topics. Like ours, their podcast has been around for years, and it can be intimidating to jump into a podcast with a big back catalog. But I assure you, you can start anywhere with this podcast. A lot of their episodes are a grab bag, kind of like our Three Things episodes. And in one of their recent episodes from April 10th, they're reintroducing themselves so you can catch up on who they are and the necessary background info before diving in. That is so smart. We should do something like that. 
seriously, I've heard from so many of you, and I agree that our podcasts have a lot in common. And I think of them as the slightly chicer, more sophisticated version of us. I'm now imagining them describing us as like the lower rent, trashier version of us. (laughs) Also, if you're a parent, Claire has a toddler son, and she talks a lot about motherhood. And she has some of the best non-cheesy kids' clothing and toy wrecks. They do such a great job with shopping picks in general. They used to own a company called Of A Kind that stocked artisan gifts. Think jewelry, office products, home accessories. So they're incredibly in the know when it comes to who is making the best of the best from bath towels to baby gifts to the perfect white t-shirt. If you're looking to add a new podcast to your lineup, give A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica a try. Again, that's A Thing or Two with Claire and Erica, and it's available wherever you're listening to this podcast. So could you relate to any of the characters in the past? Yeah, like either. But I think for me, I was more uh, relating to the teenage versions, but you can talk about either. So I think that I saw some of my teenage self in both Bess and Joni in terms of, you know, Joni being the boundary pusher and then Bess being the person that was trying to keep up and appear cool and brave and wanting to be perceived on the same level of this Joni person and their shenanigans and adventures. And I feel like I kind of ping-ponged back and forth depending on the time and also depending on the friendship between who I was more like, Bess or Joni. I think I related least to the Evangeline, but I think that character also felt really real to me in terms of I knew people who were like that and I could think of who that person would be in some of my friend groups when I was a teenager. What about you? I think I related a little bit to all of them, but I definitely could see some of my teenage high school self in Evangeline for sure. It's not that I felt I was better than everything, but maybe I wanted to feel that way or I was just really insecure. I don't know. It was more so that when my friends would do something that we hadn't before, like drinking or guys or whatever, I would just feel like I was going to get left behind. And for some reason, other than just like going along with whatever they were doing, I would dig my heels in and be like, no, I'm going to do this differently. Like, And I don't know why, but definitely not something I love about myself as a teenager. But yeah, I could definitely, I thought she was a really complex character and interesting. So one of the things that I thought about while reading this entire book was that I could read like a million more books on three-person friendships Oh, because, (laughs) well, my mom used to always say growing up in high school and middle school and stuff, you know, three is a hard number. Like when I go hang out with two other friends and I always kind of brushed it off, but I have two best friends from high school, middle school. It is a hard number. It's just a difficult number. I think it's easier with age, but in high school, it's like someone is always the odd man out. I think it's Mm. impossible to have three be balanced ever, especially at that age. What do you think about that? I guess I've never given it much thought. I I don't in teen friendships I don't know. Uh, thinking back to most of my teen friendships, even if there was a group, I had a closest relationship with one person and there was never I can't think of any three-person friendship where then there was another person who was kind of left out or on the outs. Like either it was like a four or five-person friendship and there was one person that I was close to and and vice versa. But I can't think of any three-people friendships. In adult life, I'm going to sound so toxic, but I'll say it. I think that there's actually something kind of good about a three-person friendship that I think sometimes, and this is probably not a um, therapy-approved communication 
tool. I feel like sometimes you can just like let the air out of a situation that is bothering you by complaining to the other person about the third friend instead of blowing it up into a big fight. And I think, especially if you know each other well, like I'm not talking about like a really big thing where it's like this person stole my boyfriend. Like, of course, talk to them about that. But, you know, they just they did something little that was so annoying to you. Instead of turning it into a big thing, you can just be like, oh, when Olivia did that, it fucking annoyed the shit out of me. And, you know, you know the person, you love them. But like for somebody else to be like, yeah, I saw it too. Oh my God, is so validating. And so I feel like there is a power in a three-person friendship where maybe it's like a little bit easier to navigate than than having a a two-person friendship where there's nowhere for that to go. Does that make any sense to you? Or am I just like oh, the yeah. most toxic friend? It totally does. I think it's like a double-edged sword. It does make it easier. And then it's also the thing that I think sometimes makes it harder because I think that in very close three-person friend groups, like best friends, when it's just the three of you, I think you, and especially long-term, I think you know where people stand on things. So you know when someone's annoyed and you know they're going to go to the other person and have that to complain about. And you're just like (laughs) the odd one out. And it's just never a great feeling. But I do agree with you that there is something in it that is helpful sometimes. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit less like an awful person. No, everyone talks shit. <laughs> Let's just be honest. Um, I want to talk about Theo. What did you think about Theo as a love interest in both the past and then in the present? I mean, it's hard to like compete when there's three unique characters <laughs> that are so vivid. I don't know. I didn't have many thoughts about him, I guess. I was just kind of neutral. I think that the author did a really good job of kind of painting a picture where by almost the very end or until the very end, I wasn't sure what his intentions were. Like I could have seen it either way. Uh, What did you think about him? I thought Theo was the most masterful teen crush that could have been in this book. Yeah. Like you don't know a ton about him. He's cute. You've had one impactful interaction with him where she kicked the soccer ball back to him and then he like gave her a nickname and she's like, I'm in love with him. Like that felt so (laughs) real to me of the way that you would idolize somebody in high school, especially a friend's older brother and like build him up to this like this epic level that he didn't deserve and also do it all without knowing much about him. Did you have a Theo in high school? Because I want to talk about this now. I don't I don't know who my Theo would have been in high school, but it really reminded me of this situation where I had the biggest crush on this guy in high school. He was a year older than me. We like knew each other. We had a class together and we always got in trouble for talking in class. Like we were friends. We didn't hang out outside of school really. I think we might have been in a couple clubs together, but you know, like we weren't social outside of school friends and he was older than me. And then I went on a date with him in college. We both ended up in Boston. What? We went on a date my freshman year of college. And I was like, huh. And I should mention that when I had a crush on him, it was my freshman year in high school. So, you know, four years had passed. And I went on a date with him just, you know, still thinking of my teen self and being like, oh, my God, this guy, like, he's so amazing. Almost like in the book where, you know, Bess then went to go see Theo in the present timeline and was like, oh, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. He has his flaws and like he's a, a person. And yeah. it was so interesting because 
actually going on a date this with this guy. We didn't go on a second date. It was just like, huh. Oh. So it lo- he lost his sort of star power. He lost his star power because it was so much of it was made up in my head and me and my girlfriends talking about him. So much of it was manufactured by us and had nothing to do with him. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Well, you, you got to date your basically celebrity crush. So I know. Pretty impressive. My my ninth grade self would have been pinching herself. Yeah. I didn't have a Theo, but I did have a Daniel Bailey. And oh, Daniel just Bailey. Just name names. I mean, whatever. <laughs> Doesn't Daniel matter. Bailey, it's the most I generic hope name. Your wife, a legend. girlfriend, sister. I hope somebody in your <laughs> life listens to this podcast. Well, my aunt might. Ooh, so he was my cousin's good friend. And my cousin. Oh, I like, thought you were going to say he was my cousin. And I was yeah, like, he was oh. my cousin. <laughs> no, he was like five or six years older than me. And my cousin and I, my were obsessed not not his friend a different cousin my <laughs> my female cousin and I were obsessed with him and I would I remember I showed like all my friends at school lived in a different state by the way his okay. Facebook and then Daniel Bailey became like a legend within my school and like all of my friends then requested him on Facebook and it was like this the legend of Daniel Bailey and anyway we never that had nothing hooked. to do with the actual Daniel Bailey other than what? that he was cute no, but it was just like I never interacted with him. If he, mm-hmm. if he had like kicked a soccer ball my way, I would have talked about it for yeah, decades. Um so in that sense, I do I do kind of understand. I I do understand him and I think he was described very well. Just that like obsession over a tiny detail like yep. that for sure. Yeah. For sure. Being willing to like blow up your life over it too. Oh, yeah. Like, if Daniel Bailey had looked my way, I would have gladly ruined lives, like, if it was necessary. (laughs) (laughs) That was how much of a crush I had on this guy. But anyway, he never did. (laughs) I'm sure he's thriving in the world. I hope so. I hope no one that knows him is listening, but... I hope they do. he's, He's a very, very nice guy, just... He took a photo with me at my cousin's wedding and that's I, the that's the like, moment. And my parents like framed it as a joke for me. It was the worst. I've anyway. Anyway, it's fine. That was the moment. Talk to me about the twists here. Did you see any of them coming? Which ones blindsided you? I definitely thought that Joni killed someone at some point. Multiple times. Oh, okay. Both in the past and the present? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. (laughs) Maybe that's just because I've read so many thrillers, but I definitely thought that she was going to say, like, I kind of had the sense that she was with her when she fell off the cliff, but I thought it was going to be kind of like implied that she pushed her kind of thing. I never thought that. I, I don't know. I thought that Bess and Joni were bystanders to Ev dying in a way that didn't look great for them. Like I was wondering if maybe she took drugs or drank too much and they they didn't call the uh, they didn't take her to the hospital or they didn't call an ambulance soon enough or something where they like felt guilty it looked bad but like it wasn't actually their fault then when we found out that Bess when we found out Bess's side of it that she had this fight with Ev and then saw her fall and then when Joni asked her to cover that's when I got suspicious but I still never thought that Joni pushed her 
Like, I, I just I didn't get the sense that there was any real murderous intent. Like, I was like, anything that happened when they were kids really felt to me like it was going to be an accident. So, like, I knew that something wasn't quite right when Bess told her side, but I wasn't like, oh, yeah, the answer is that Joni killed her. Yeah, I definitely think that this is the better telling of the story than if she had killed her. But what about Willa? I definitely thought that Joni killed Willa. I thought that Joni yeah. killed Willa, and I think we were set up to think that. Mm-hmm. And we weren't really given any other person to focus on until all of a sudden, I feel like it kind of came out of nowhere that she was seeing someone else. Because Joni was lying, it made sense for the story. But like, there wasn't really anyone else to be like, no, here, here's who did it. So right. you know, I feel like we were kind of set up there. Yeah. And especially at the even at the end, like the further we got in the book, especially when Bess found Willa's phone in Joni's dresser, I was like, oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, like it was absolutely her. Yeah. Yeah. Same. It, it really the ending kind of surprised me. Like, I, I don't know what I I don't know what I make of it. Yeah. What do you think? Somebody DM me last night. I, I posted about this book on my Instagram story and somebody was like, I didn't really like this book. Joni just like disappears at the end. And I was like, I think that we're supposed to intuit that she killed herself. Really? Yeah, because she said in earlier in the book, they were talking about paddleboarding. And she's like, sometimes I think about just like floating off out there into the ocean. The book was so long. I must have forgotten that. It was very long. (laughs) But and then it alludes back to that moment that Bess says she wonders if that's what's what happened. And so we never know, but we never get closure Huh. They it never says they find her body, but like I kind of intuited that she was it was implied that she killed herself. That makes more sense than like disappearing into the whatever. Because she wasn't guilty. So, you know, she right. wasn't she didn't actually kill Willa, but she had like lost everything. She lost her girlfriend who was actually killed. And then she lost Bess, who didn't believe that she didn't kill her. And I, I kind yeah. of intuited that she paddled out into the ocean and yeah that if i had remembered that first detail i would have thought that as well so maybe it does make more sense to me now or it's more fitting but i i liked how it ended i liked that bess in a really realistic way was able to see and make a step towards correcting her unhealthy coping mechanism of how she dealt with evangeline's death by like making her life as small as possible and she was like oh now i see what i did I, i need to face this and that she like went to Theo's and that she asked for time off from her job. Like I was like, oh yeah, I like the way that ended. Joni's, I won't say that I like that it, the way that it ended, but I was I was surprised, which was a positive thing in this book that I wasn't like, oh yeah, this is what I yeah. expected. I, I liked the ending. I was kind of neutral on it. I think I appreciated all the character development so much that I was kind of like, oh, it doesn't need to end in some perfect like mm. neat way for me to like like it more I guess which is a credit to the writing yeah and I think that it wasn't I don't know if this makes it one genre or another like it there wasn't enough clues for you to have been able to tell what happened without them telling you you know like there wasn't anything to put together that it actually was the guy and that he was married like that Mm -hmm. came out at the very end and like there was no breadcrumbs dropped to get you there if you weren't told yeah and I appreciate it. So that. it was more about the characters than about like the mystery to be solved. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw some critiques on Goodreads that I thought were really interesting. There were some negative reviews that felt like the author didn't push the book far enough and wanted more exploration of the darkness of them being in jail. What did you think? Uh, I I understand that, 
because I too was like, oh, like they're in jail and we just skipped over that. But I didn't feel like it was such that there was something missing from the book. There, I mean, there was so much in 300 some pages or whatever. There was a lot. I was freaking shocked that she sent them to jail. She being the oh, author. Really? Yeah, I'm I was not because Amanda that Knox. she went that far. Oh, maybe it's because I don't know the Amanda Knox of it all. But I was like, oh, I was shocked I that they were found guilty and they actually went to jail. And just the surprise of that to me was enough. And like the the description of how it affected Bess and Joni mentally in just that short chapter was enough for me where I was like, oh, I did not expect you to go that far. Yeah, I think it was. I mean, maybe it's just because the Amanda Knox thing is top of mind, but I think it's realistic. And there's this very interesting part in the documentary where she says, like, this is the scarier thing is that anyone is vulnerable to just being in this situation and being young and, you know, being portrayed a certain way by the media. And then you end up in jail. Like anyone is vulnerable to that. You know, it's not that I'm some crazed lunatic who murdered this person. It's that I'm completely innocent and I just was a teenager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's like the scary part of it all. And so maybe, maybe that's why, because it's more universal, I guess. What was your interpretation of the title? I speaking of innocence and guilt. Yeah. Uh do you have a interpretation of it? I don't know. I guess we haven't really talked a ton about how the media treated Bess and Joni when they were ripping apart these teenage girls. There was no element of like innocent until proven guilty. Like they were guilty in the court of public opinion whether or not they were way before they were guilty by law. And some of the scenes that hit me the hardest on my second read were the scenes right out of they got out of jail where everyone was like, what are you going to do with your newfound freedom? It's like, you fucking ruined me. Right. I was innocent. Like, oh, you're innocent. Like, great. What are you going to do now? And it's like, yeah. But in the process of needing to prove my own innocence, like you have wrecked me body and soul and mind. And so I thought that there was something really interesting where it's like, happy ending. You're innocent. And it was like, but the process of getting there irrevocably changed both of them yeah yeah it's true it's a great way to put it it just gave me I feel like I can't think about a media narrative about how mistreated people were in that time era without thinking about Britney Spears where it's like how much culpability do we have right right that's true not to go back to Amanda Knox but they also took her diaries that she was writing in prison. And they, I think this actually happened in the book too. They published a list of everyone she'd ever had sex with that they made mm-hmm. her. She, they told her that she had HIV and oh. that's why the police did. Yeah. Anyway, the media just made everything about sexuality. And <laughs> I feel like that's a very interesting part of this book too, but we're running kind of long. So we we won't have to get into that, but well, the other thing I do want to make sure we talk about is that Joni is the second character in a Bad on Paper book club pick this year that is a self-help guru. What did you think yes. about her versus Chess from the villa? Well, you know, interestingly, I felt like at the beginning I got similar vibes, but then it just didn't seem as much a part of uh, Joni's personality as it did for Chess. Although I did feel like this book was like the love child of I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay and then also The Villa. It was mm. like every, every single thing into one. Interesting. 
What did you think about her versus Chess? I felt like Chess was the more fun version of this. It was a little more Gwyneth Paltrow. I felt like Joni was the more real version of this, where I felt like I really understood how she got to being this person based on her backstory, where she was like, I have to own this narrative. I'm going to bring this up before other people can. I need to turn my life around, and this is the only thing available to me. So I felt like it felt much more... Like, the leap of how she got there was much more logical versus it felt like Chess was just like, I'm reading some articles and people like them and, like, I blew up on the internet, which is not unrealistic, but it felt like there was less character and personality backstory that kind of made it make sense. Yeah, I agree with you. So you've read The Comeback, which is Ella Berman's debut, her first book. Uh, how how does that compare to this? I feel like it has similar vibes. It makes sense that it's the same author. So that one is um, a Me Too book about a Hollywood actress who uh, becomes famous very young and works repeatedly with this same director um, who she'd been having a sexual relationship with. And she gets what is she, what happens to her? So she gets villainized and like pushed out of the public eye and nothing happens to him. And it's 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 that kind of story. So it's very much about justice and something that happened to you when you were younger and how that informs and affects who you are when you're older. And also like not believing women, I feel like is another common theme here in different ways. Yeah. I think you would like it. It is really dark, but it is really, in my opinion, really well done. Oh, yeah, I probably would like it if it's dark. Yeah. Is it darker than this? It's darker than this. And also the character's interior in, interior life is much darker. Hmm. Okay. Then Bess is like, Bess is a little bit of a sad sack almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Versus like the character in the comeback, like her interior life is much more unlikable, but also just like much darker. Hmm. All right. Well, I'll check that out for sure because I, I loved the writing. Uh, what books would you suggest for people that liked this other than The Comeback, maybe? I have no idea. I saw somebody posting about that in the Facebook group, I think, and I could not think of anything that gave me similar vibes to this. So I'm going to, unless you have any, I'm going to kick it to the Facebook group to answer on our, we'll do our book club questions and hopefully people have good recs. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I would say is if you liked the sort of uh, Grecian villa, people in a house aspect of it, you could maybe try the villa. And if you liked the more serious true crime aspects of it, then I would try. I have some questions for you. Yeah. But I can't think of anything that like if you like the friendship angle of it, you should try. I think I want to write a book about three friends, though. This is what it's. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of the list of things, but I sign me up as a like reader. Read, <laughs> great. I would like to read more books about three friend groups. So if anyone has them, yes, put them in the Facebook group, please. All right, let's get into some end matter. Yeah. What is what is your obsession? I can't remember if we've talked about this on the podcast and I'm repeating myself because I, I feel like I've had this conversation 19 times in the past month. My obsession is Reese's peanut butter cup eggs. I just bought a bag of them on sale because Easter candy is now on sale. And I think that Reese's peanut butter cup eggs are so much superior to the cups. Like the ratio is better. How do they compare to the trees though? Same. Mm -hmm. Same. The novelty shapes. I feel like they just have more peanut butter and the texture of the peanut butter is maybe like a little fluffier. Yes. 
I think it has more volume. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have the hard edges either of a Reese's peanut butter cup, like the yes. crinkle edges, which are hard. Yeah. Like it doesn't have that. It's softer. It's so much better. Like why don't we have year-round Reese's peanut butter cup eggs? That's a great question. Or just like any larger shape with not spiky edges. Yeah, just call them like Reese's blobs and just sell them year-round. For a second, I thought you said racist blobs, and I was like, "Call them that too." Also, I don't understand that. But. No, Reese's Reese's blobs. I'm with you. I'm with you. They are better. What about you? What are you obsessed with? I am obsessed with all of the memes about Drew Barrymore's interview style. Have you seen these? I haven't seen the memes, but I have. My TikTok has been for the past six months, probably, very heavy on Drew Barrymore talk show clips. And I firmly believe that this is Drew Barrymore's purpose in life. I'm so happy for her. She is so good at this. And I don't know why it took us so long to give her a talk show. She is lovely, like a lovely human being who I love. And I actually love her even more because she reposted like a carousel on Instagram of these memes. But Basically, basically, they're all talking about how she like gets really close to the person she's interviewing, like basically in their lap. And there's one that's like Drew Barrymore interviewing people. And it's two people and their eyeballs are literally touching because <laughs> they stare at each other. And I just love that she can like kind of poke fun at herself. But also it's it just in, it's in such good fun because I think everyone like feels the sort of warmth and connection she has in these interviews. So I don't know. It's just like. A nice feel-good meme. You know, you love that. My not secret dream, because I'm going to tell you, but like my dream for my book is I know Drew Barrymore doesn't have a book club the same way that Reese Witherspoon does, but I I want to get my book to Drew Barrymore if anyone has a connection to the people at her show. I just, I feel like she would like it because of the chosen family aspect. I know she doesn't have a great relationship with her own family. Like, I, I just think that she would appreciate my book I in the think- mix of like dark and warmth. Are you ready for her to like sit in your lap? I would love that. Like I want to touch eyeballs. (laughs) Great. Let's make this happen for you. Please. I love her as well. What have you read? I'm reading a lot, as I said, but I only finished Before We Are Innocent. Although you'll be happy to know I did start reading The Bodyguard last night. Oh, delightful. You you inspired me. So I'll report back. It doesn't count for this episode because I haven't finished it. But what have you been reading? I read Yellow Face by R.F. Kuang, which comes out May 16th. And this is the same author who wrote Babel, which was such a huge book last year. I don't know what I think about this book. I, <laughs> I, okay, I'll tell you what it's about. And then I can tell you why I don't know what I think about it. So the book is about a white author who is friends with an Asian author. The white author is less successful. The Asian author dies And the white author steals her manuscript and passes it off as her own. And so it's about diversity in publishing. It's about own voices. Like it it is painfully in the weeds of publishing from everything I have seen from my journey and anything I've read or listened to about publishing. People are going to talk about this book. Really? I think so. Because it kind of feels like a Ramona Clay I don't know if it's exactly a romantic play, but it feels like it's like very much borrowing from a lot of publishing controversies. Like I definitely see like the American dirt controversy in it, et cetera. 
I don't know what I think of this book. But then as a second hand, I flew through it. So it's very compulsively readable. But then I was reading a lot of the Goodreads reviews of it. And apparently the author really baked in all of the criticisms that she's received as an author into criticisms about the the dead Asian author character in this book. Oh, I kind of who's kind of a, a presence throughout, and like I kind of love that <laughs> she was, and, and like the comments were all talking about how like the the authorial voice versus the character voice is like really muddled in terms of like who is saying what and what are they saying. And I don't follow her closely enough to to know any of this. Like I know who she is, but I don't follow her on social media. I think she's a very active um, Twitter person. And so there were a lot of critiques about that, that it was like basically her writing her way around everything that she's been accused of by her detractors. That's interesting because my first instinct is like, oh, that's clever. But I guess people would see it as not original or something. I don't don't know that it's not original, but it's just like justifying some of the things that she's been been accused of like for example like one of the things that the book talks about is like not helping other people of your racial group who are lower on the ladder which i think is something that she's been accused of of like rolling up the ladder behind you hmm okay i'm i'm really thinking i want to read this do you think i would like it <laughs> yes i do i do it was a long pause it is Almost slightly triggering about the publishing process is the only reason uh, I was hesitating to be like, do, can you read this? <laughs> it is, I don't know. I, I do think, I don't know exactly how broad and wide the circles will be talking about this, but like, I think especially the, the very bookish internet is going to be a buzz. Oh, well, we'll see. I'll report back if I read it. Okay, please do. So we don't quite know what our May book club pick is, but we will let you know on Instagram on or before May 1st. In the meantime, we would love to talk to you about this book in the Facebook group. You can join us there. You can join us on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. I'm at Olivia Mentor. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.